Good morning. God bless you so good you can hardly stand it. This is the first message of a number for qualification messages for a pastor of this congregation. Next month, the end of the month, there's going to be a charter day. And the following month, there is planned an ordination. And so I'm uh, sharing this with you today. It's maybe not a normal kind of a qualification message. You see, a lot of times qualification message, and rightly so, are about character, maybe about spiritual gifts, about sermon preparations, maybe pastoral responsibilities, how to do them, and all is, all is important. But there's another one that I would like to share with you today, and that is the way a pastor shall think. Um, we already had some introduction to my uh, subject this morning by you, uh, and that's good. But let's just think about it. Uh, what are the issues, if somebody says to you about abortion, what are the issues that would come up? Or how would people think? What would they think about um, late-term abortion? How would they think? It's okay, right? When does life start? You get all these questions. You can just figure out because they believe in abortion, you know how they think when it comes to these issues. It's the way with a lot of things. How about if you say you're non-resistant? How would you think when somebody crosses your path or pulls out in front of you? How would you think if you really believe in that? How would you think? Or all of these issues that would cause to respond to people that wrong you. If you really believe in non-resistance, how would you think? So that, that belief determines how you think. And there's a lot of things like that. If you walk by the Spirit, you would know how that, that person should think other than walking by the flesh. So that's kind of the idea that I, I would like to share. And... Uh, one of the things that I want to bring out is uh, what, uh, how do I think when it comes to salvation and how is that connected to my life? And so I like to go over those things and uh, uh, say that if you have a pastor that thinks wrong, it's going to affect the congregation he's teaching in a lot of areas. Or it'll, if he thinks right, it will affect his pastoring and the leading of his flock. So it's important that a pastor thinks right, thinks with the proper, thinks by the proper way. And so uh, I would like to talk first of all about salvation. And you'll say, I know all of this, but it's maybe it's elementary. But I think when you see when I go through this that 
you'll see that there are ways to think about salvation and how it affects your life. Now, when... Uh, when we were created, when man was created, God made man perfect. And they had a level of fellowship. They had fellowship. You know that they had fellowship. But God said that you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. And so... Uh, Adam and Eve, they were tempted. Eve was tempted. Now, God made them perfect, and so their temptation did not come from within, it came from without. Adam, Adam could have hit his, his thumb with a hammer, putting on a roof, and never even thought about saying a bad word, because he didn't have it in him. Or a wife never think about talking back to her husband because it wasn't in her. But her temptation came from without. So, uh, there's a level of fellowship between God and man because there was nothing between them. Now, when they sinned, that put man out of fellowship. Man and woman out of fellowship with God. Now they died, but they died of spiritual separation. Physically, they were still walking around. But spiritually, there was separation from life. That's what death is, is separation from life. And so they were put out of fellowship. Adam and Eve, I mean, God came into the garden one evening, and Adam and Eve hid. Something changed. They were out of fellowship because they had sinned. Um, I tell, told the booze people when we were over there in, um, in uh, Thailand. I said, all right, you know, when I was born, nobody had to teach me dirty tricks. You know why? Because it was within. Uh, so... Where would I be? If I was born and I had, uh, uh, had a sinful nature, where would I be? In the top or in the bottom? Where would you be? Well, I said, I was in the bottom. I was born with a sinful nature. I wasn't born like they were created. So how about you? Where would you be? Oh, I'd be down in the bottom. How about the king? They'd kind of worship the king over there in uh, Thailand. How about, oh, he'd be in the bottom too. How about Joe Smith? Oh, he'd be in the bottom. How about Mohammed? He'd be in the bottom too. Spiritual death. So, I was on the bottom. Uh, how about you? Let me tell you. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. That means everybody in the same boat, so to speak. It doesn't matter how rich your parents are. It doesn't matter what status they have. We all are in the same boat. 
Because we're born with a sinful nature. As in Adam all what? As in Adam all die. That's what the Bible says. It's a spiritual death. It's separation from life. So, we could just say uh, that uh, how are we going to get back into fellowship with God? So we have God and man like this. How are we going to get back into fellowship with God? The answer is what? Why could Jesus provide a way for us to get back in the fellowship with God? Why is it? Atonement for our sins. Huh? Atonement for our sins. Yes, but why could he do it? Who said that? Perfect. He had no sin. If he had sinned, where would he be? In the top line or the bottom line? Huh? But if he had sinned, which would he be in? The bottom line. He'd be in the bottom line like you and me because the wages of sin is death. But he had no sin. He was perfect. That's the right answer. How many people were born into this world that were perfect and had no sin? How many? Huh? One. That was Christ. He was born, and that way, he, that's why he could make an atonement for our sins. Because he didn't have to do it for himself. You know we say that Jesus is the only way to salvation? That's why. And let me tell you, I've, I've shared this with other religions and you know what when you come down to the end of it they never say well my prophets as great as yours because their prophets are on the bottom line make no mistakes that you need a savior regardless of how good you think you are you still have sinned and you need a savior you need you need your your life atoned for Now, let's look at the atonement. It's a good word. Um, here we see we're born, then we are born again, the atonement's uh, provided, uh, applied, then we have eternal life, and in between there we have serving the living God, obedient to His word. And now, if you're a Christian, you're living between the atonement and eternity. Here's a scripture. Now we could read this whole scripture, but for not time was. But how much more shall the blood of Christ, in opposition to the Old Testament sacrifices, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to what? To serve the living God. So the blood of Christ 
which atoned for our sins, there you see it on the left, purges our conscience to serve the living God. And if you're a Christian, that's where you are. Salvation is possible because of the atonement of Christ. And the reason, the reason that we can be counted blameless is not is because we're forgiven. He forgives our sin because of the merits of Christ's death on the cross. He can forgive us our sins. This happened when he died on the cross and shed his sinless blood. Thus satisfying the wrath of God on us because of our sin. It is only available to us if we repent and forsake our sins. We are saved to serve a living God. Not Satan or the lust of the flesh. That's why we say, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the what? The blood of Jesus. Did you ever know why they use the blood? And this, this shows us. The blood is his life. The Bible says the blood is in the life. The life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And so when he shed his blood, he gave his life for us that we can be forgiven of our sins because of his atonement on the cross. And nobody else could do that. So that gives meaning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sang a song up here that talked about the blood of Jesus this morning. And that's what that means. It means that he, paid, he shed his blood so we can be forgiven on his merits. He gave his life. We're, the, the wages of sin is death and we all sin. And so we can, be, we can live because of him, because we're forgiven. Praise the Lord. And that's the same way with everyone. None of us have a corner on the market. <laughs> all the same. Now, um, in the scripture says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. This isn't talking about function, this is talking about salvation. That we all receive it the same way. So when we become Christians, we are passed from death to life. We've come from the old man to the new man. We come from disobedience to obedience. We come from unbelief to belief. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags if I expect it to atone for my sins. All of our righteousness that we do for God, the things that we do because we're saved, it's not filthy rags. It's only filthy rags if you expect it to atone for your sins. I mean, it's joy to live the righteousness of Christ. We have been purchased with a price. We are not our own. We are the servants to whom we obey. So, I say all this to refute... 
the idea that what we do for Christ has nothing to do with our salvation. It has nothing to do with the atonement. But his atonement has all to do with our salvation and our life. So I've tried to diagram it that way. You see up here, you see where I put serving the living God up there, uh, beating to his word? That's not true. Our obedience never can atone for our sins. And in that way, it doesn't have anything to do with even our obedience. But that don't say we shouldn't be obedient as Christians. Obedience, the salvation by the atonement and obedience are connected. The thing is, we've got to be able to distinguish it. So, uh, this here, uh, let's, let's show this again. If I'm going to do this, put serving the living God over there in the place that Christ is, uh, you're lost. So, we are, we're born again, we have the atonement applied, and here then we have this, uh, we have a place to uh, obey, but uh, the person who says this part here has nothing to do with my salvation, if this is what your preacher preaches, in the context that I'm showing to you, you're going to have people do a lot of stuff that they think get away with because it has nothing to do, they're still saved. You know. That's, that's the product of salvation. It's not. The product of salvation is, uh, is that you're, like I was saying, you're changed. You're, you go from the old man to the new man. You, you put off uh, the old and put on the new. You're, you go from the flesh to the spirit. And uh, your whole life is changed. So, he purges your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. You never excuse yourself to live in your dead works because the Lord done it all. It doesn't really have anything to do with it. I don't believe that. It's not what the Bible teaches. So, just because your blood has been applied, can you live like the devil or for the devil? No. I believe. I believe. There's, I've heard this thing said so much it has nothing to do with my salvation. And you have young people out there that think they can get away with doing their flesh these things. And they don't make the connection. That's why I say you need a pastor that thinks right when it comes to salvation and this life that is a product of our salvation. There's so many scriptures. And I would like if you turn your Bibles to Hebrews. I'm sorry, Titus. Turn your Bibles to Titus. Titus 2, 11 to 15. Now, in the scripture, in Ephesians, it says, by grace are you saved. And a lot of people stop there. Look what it says here. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Titus 2.11 It also teaches us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, uh, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, part of this whole scheme and this whole program is eternity. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what salvation does. Praise the Lord. So, if you're a Christian, you're in this there. Now, let's look at Hebrews 5. I don't think I'm going to get over all these scriptures. But so many scriptures that teach us the connection of this. Now, there's only 14 verses in chapter 5, and then I have a few in chapter 6. But I'd like you to follow with me. Every high priest taken from among men is ordained of men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. And then it says, who can, this is a high priest that is on earth, he can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason thereof he ought, as for the people, so for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, Unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were his son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Huh, isn't that stuck in there? Christ, call of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek according to history, never had a beginning or an end to what we know about it. In verse 11, of whom we have many things to say about God, Jesus, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for this time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Now it's talking about people here that have not matured. Because they still need, they're still babies. And they haven't matured. And he says, you need to mature. You know, when Christians become a Christian, they aren't full age mature. Christians are they? They have a growing. They, they grow. They they develop and yeah. But he's saying here you're not growing. Now chapter six. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrines of baptism 
and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He's saying, all right, you got saved. The blood is applied. Now you go on. You go on to maturity. You, 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 you're saved, you know. You, God, God saved you. Now you go on to maturity. That's what full age here means. And this why I do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gifts, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God uh, fresh, and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and thistles is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. The person that bears the thorns and the thistles are in trouble. After the, after they've uh, go, uh, gone from salvation and going on, if they, the, the people that are uh, in this time here of the Christian, where you are, the people there that respond, you know, the, the rain comes and they're, they're watered and they're growing and everything, but the one that bears thorns and thistles are in trouble. So my, my goal is to, how, how we think, that we need to see that the tone applied to our life and our life are distinguishable, but they're not separable. They're distinguishable, but they're not separable. So let's just look a little bit here at the line of maturity. And according to Romans or Hebrews 5.14, this would be good to... Uh, no good and evil. Verse 14. But strong meat uh, belongs to them that are of full age, mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, uh, a maturing Christian is able to discern a lot better between right and wrong. And that's right. That's the way it should be. So this line here, I, I have as a babe in Christ, and as a babe in Christ, the knowledge and commitment, um, they're so happy. Why is a young Christian so happy? They're so happy because um, their sins are forgiven and they've committed everything to God. I mean, they, they don't have any guilt. No guilt. Even though they don't know everything of a 50-year-old Christian, they don't have any guilt because their knowledge and commitment is equal. Now, person mature in Christ, their knowledge and commitment should be equal. You know, some people get older and Christians and, and they look back there and they see those young Christians and say, boy, they don't have to do everything like this. Uh, so they ditch all their convictions. Uh, huh. But now, their knowledge and commitment are not equal. Just because they see the happy first Christian that had a free conscience. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So, when you get older and your knowledge and commitment is not equal, you're in trouble. As older Christians, we need to be growing, but our commitment has to grow also, or we become guilty. You see, then you can see people sliding going the other way. Because, of, you know, when, when, when you uh, sear your conscience, you start going the other way. So you want to keep your commitment up to your knowledge. To be free from guilt. You know, I'm so happy that we can be free from guilt. Aren't you glad to be free from guilt? It's wonderful to be free from guilt. Conscience is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, but to be freed from guilt. But you know what? Let me tell you something. Do you know that you have sins of ignorance? If you look in the Old Testament back there in the beginning of Leviticus, you see about the sins of ignorance. They offer that sacrifice for the sins of ignorance. You know, it's like that space between perfection and where we are in our understanding. It's a gap in there. The blood of Christ covers that too. The sacrifice of Christ covers that too. That's wonderful. So we don't have to worry about what we don't know. Unless we splint it. <laughs> you know. I think the... I think, I believe that the way we think about salvation and how it, con how it connects to our life here on earth is important for any pastor to know. So they don't give license to a young Christian that it doesn't matter. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't matter. You can have all the expertise in delivery. You can even have a good character and give a person a false hope. So, let's turn to Hebrews 10, 19 to 31. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that uh, is faithful that promised... And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for, for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. 
of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and holy holy thing and has done despite on the, the spirit of grace. And so, for we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so, if we're a Christian, we have, our sins have been atoned for, we're living this life uh, here on earth to the honor and glory of God. Um, First Corinthians, I'm, I'm not going to, we're just going to uh, go through these and I want to get to my next part. Now, here's where our Sunday school lesson helps. This is a picture of my wife and a, one of our granddaughters. It's quite a few years ago. The original is to the left and the second one is according to. <laughs> according to. It looks like the first. If it's according to it, it looks like the first, right? Now, a, a tourist attraction in Chiang Mai is uh, an art, artist that could take your photo and, and uh, draw a picture or paint a picture. And uh, we have a friend that was an artist, and what she did, she took Jesus' uh, figure and set all of her grandchildren around Jesus and on his lap. And my wife said, hey, I think that'd be a good idea. So we sent a picture of all of our grandchildren to Thailand and sent a, a photo of this picture that the, our friend uh, painted over and said, we want this picture with our grandchildren on. And so the picture we got back is according to the pictures that we send over. It's according to it. It's after it. It's after the, orig uh, the, uh, uh, the original. It's after the original. So I would like you to turn again to um, Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. Isn't that neat? And the acknowledgement of the truth which is after godliness. What is godliness? What is godliness? Whatever this is, it's after or according to godliness. That's the benchmark. You'll see that when you see according and after, it means that you have to be doing these things uh, <clears throat> from a, a pattern. From a, a, a pattern of how to think. Because it doesn't have subpoints of what, what the issues are. But it's how you think. You think that I need to uh, do things according to godliness. Is this a godliness? That what I'm going to do? We ask the wrong questions sometimes. And I'm going to tell you some of the questions we should ask on the issues of life. And 
You might have issues of life that's different here than in Thailand or in other cultures. But they all come from the same principle. I mean, our lives should be all from the same principle. So, let's go down... Um, Let's go down to chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Sound teaching. We need to we need a interpret scripture in the daily life on sound doctrine, sound teaching. You know, the people that don't believe that this middle part counts much, they say doctrine's not important. But it is important. Now, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, in charity, and patience. And all of these things have to be um, defined in what you're doing, just like love and joy and peace and the, the fruits of the Spirit that were mentioned before. Now, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. It doesn't give all the points. But whatever you do should, become, should be like holiness. should be holiness. And that, that's today. This is how we should all think. And these are the questions we should ask. Or these are the filters we should put through when we have something we want to do or uh, you know, something we want to buy or whatever. Does it, does it meet these qualifications? Then, in verse 10, it says, Not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So, all of our actions should be to adorn the doctrine of God. Isn't it something that we think this way, and we go through life, and we think this way? Adorn the doctrine of God. Oh, up there in verse 7, it says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. If somebody knows you're very good on some issues, they say, Oh, I'll know what they'll do. I'll know what they'll do. Because they've created a pattern. How about if somebody accuses you wrong and they tell somebody, and that person says, no, I know. I know that person. That will never happen. That's how we should be known. Pattern of good works. So according to after. So to me, what I've shared with you this morning is a way of thinking. Not only it's the truth, but it's a way of thinking that we need, and all of us should think that way. When we make decisions in life, there's so many issues that come up in life that the Bible could never <coughs> write a book to address every issue in every culture and every age. But when we know the holiness of God and what godliness is, we can say, is this godly? Is this according, according to his word? Will this adorn the doctrine of God? Will adorn the, the, the gospel? The other thing is we know that we have the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Satan. 
How about, which kingdom does this fit into? These are the kind of questions we should ask. This is how we should think. This is how our pastor should think. Or he could uh, preach something that isn't quite God's will. So in closing, what we just went over should be a part of your worldview. A worldview refers to the framework of ideas and beliefs through which an individual interprets the world and interacts with it. It is important that these ideas and beliefs are from God's point of view. And this includes what we believe about salvation and how it affects our life. So God bless us all as we're in this journey of life that we might meet the Lord who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. God bless you.